Welcome, um, if you are here, if, and especially if you're here for the first time. Um, I met a couple of families from this week's Science VBS, and if you're here for the first time at Mosaic, welcome, welcome. If you're here for the first time, my name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors here, and for the past month or so, we've been looking at mission, um, how to reach, and we're transitioning now, uh, because if you're here for the first time, the mission of our church is to reach, embrace, and disciple. Uh, what that means is that we're here to reach those who don't have Christ, to embrace them and love them in the gospel, and then disciple them to follow Christ. And that's our church's mission. And today, uh, we want to talk about disciple. Disciple. And for the next month, uh, we're going to be talking about that word disciple because when we reach people for Christ, our goal isn't just to bring them here to church and make them church attenders and have them come back to the same room week after week. That's not really the goal. The goal is to help them so that they can learn to follow Jesus in their lives. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. And so if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. It's really important that we disciple. Um, this is what the Lord has called us to do. And to that end, this fall, we're leading up to the launch of our discipleship training, uh, where the elders, myself, Pastor Doug, will be taking groups of men and women uh, to help them to mature and develop into real uh, disciples and followers of Jesus. But whether you're part of those groups or not, we are all, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, called to be a disciple and not just part of the crowd. And I, I, I really like to bring that distinction out because I think that helps us. You see, in Jesus's ministry in the New Testament, you see a lot of people following him, a bunch of people always coming and showing up to stuff. But out of that crowd, there are some who are really disciples. And then there are some who are just crowd. And for us, we need to know that distinction. Because in the West, I think that in our church context, it's really easy to lose that distinction. You see, in places like Morocco, if you come to church, you have taken into account the fact that you are going there paying a price, you are going there at cost and potentially danger. And so you don't flippantly just show up to church. And so that is something that maybe they don't need to learn so much, but for our context, sometimes you can just slide into Christian community and just slide out and get the impression that you are a disciple. And so today we want to make the distinction. What, what does it mean to actually be a disciple? What's a heart? What's the heart of being a disciple? And Jesus will make it very clear and plain what it means to be a disciple. What it means to be a disciple means that you have picked up your cross to follow him. You have picked up your cross to follow him. Now, what does that mean? We're going to kind of unpack that today. And I want to start with a simple definition. A disciple is someone who is fueled by grace to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Somebody who is fueled by grace to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at that by looking at this moment in Jesus' life at the Garden of Gethsemane, where you see Jesus doing the same thing battling to obey. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please open it up to Matthew 26. We're going to read from 36 to 46. It's all sixes. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. And here we have this passionate scene at the Garden of Gethsemane. And here we're going to dig into Jesus's experience, his agony, and learn from it. So as you turn there, prepare your hearts for God's living word. In verse 36, it opens like this. <clears throat> and then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's all bow in prayer before we go into this. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and that you would show us today what it means to be a true disciple and follower of Christ. I pray that there will be no confusion. And I pray that you would work by the Spirit to do something in us that we can't do for ourselves. Change us. Change us. And I pray, help us to see your heart, what it means to be a disciple. Help us to be drawn to it by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at Jesus' picking up his cross at Gethsemane. And then think about us picking up our cross as disciples of Jesus Christ. At the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the last time he's going to be with his disciples. The last time he's going to be with them alone. And the scene focuses in on his battle to follow the Father. You see, the reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth was because he had to come and live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And die the perfect death that we couldn't die. So that those who might believe in Jesus would be saved. Now, he had, at this point, done the first part. He had lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. And now he was transitioning, preparing, getting ready to live that perfect death, to die that perfect death that we couldn't die. And this was tremendously, unspeakably difficult for Jesus to come to terms with. To come to terms with the fact that he was going to the cross was something that was difficult for him to follow. If he ever thought that Jesus was God, and so he's just kind of sliding through life real easy, that's not what Jesus did. That's not who he was. He had to battle in this garden for obedience. When you see in verse 36, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. You see, he's completely overtaken by sorrow, by sadness. He says, I'm so sad that I'm going to the cross. There's this sadness in him. And it's very different from the Jesus that the disciples saw at the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus high and lifted up at his peak, power glorified. But here they're looking at Jesus at his lowest moment, his time of most difficult battle. My brothers and sisters, this is where your discipleship is tested. Probably not right here, right now at church when you're worshiping with the saints but probably your test of discipleship will probably come throughout this week at your lowest moment sometime when you find it most difficult to hang on to your faith and obey. Jesus is here and he says, I'm sorrowful even to death. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's sorrowful that he's going to die. 
And he's not sorrowful um, because he's going to die. But what he means by that is that I feel so sorrowful that I could die. I don't think that we should pull punches here and we should see that it's almost as if he's saying suicidal words. That close to something like that. I'm so sad that I could die. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Now you ask, why, what's bothering him so much? What's troubling him about the cross so much? And you, you might say, well, I mean, he's going to go be tortured on a wooden plank. What do you think he's complaining about? But if you think about it, if you were going to the cross to be tortured, do you think that you would be sad? Do you think that you would feel sadness because you're going to be tortured on a cross? Probably not. You would probably be what? Scared. You would probably experience fear. But that's not what Jesus is experiencing. He's not scared. He doesn't say, I am so fearful. But he says, I am so sad. I am so sorrowful. Isn't that strange? If you were going to the cross, I think the things that we might be sad about, or maybe that your children will never see you again, or that your husband or your wife may never see you again, or your friends may never see you again. You see, sorrow is always relational. And there's something relational that Jesus is struggling with here. He's sad, not scared. He says, my soul is sorrowful. And the thing that he is sad about is that he's about to see a side of the Father, God, that he had never seen before in all of eternity. He's about to, for the first time, experience the wrath and displeasure of his Father for the sake of sinners. And that is making him deeply sorrowful. It's breaking him because he's thinking about the prospect of what's coming emotionally, spiritually between him and his father. If you've ever talked to an adult who's been abused as a child, someone who's actually worked through that process of being abused by his father or his mother, when you talk to them and you've, they've actually worked through it, oftentimes they will tell you that it's not the beatings that stuck with me, not even the bruises and the scars that bothered me even into adulthood. But the things that bother those who have been abused as children is the fact that they feel like their father or their mother in that moment did not love them while they hit them. That they emotionally abandoned them while they were being abused. That scars a kid from the inside and stays with them until adulthood. That's the kind of pain that Jesus is thinking forward to when his father is about to put his wrath and displeasure onto Jesus Christ for the very first time. He had never experienced anything like this. For all eternity, he's only known the perfect pleasure of the father. And he's coming to the place where it's bringing him to breaking points, a breaking point in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's fighting to obey all the way to the cross. But the question of Gethsemane is this, is there another way? Is there a way that we could go a different way? Read verse 39 with me. This is the prayer that Jesus is praying the entire time. It says, in going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, not our father, my dad, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is he asking here? He's asking, is there another way? 
I mean, I, I wouldn't do anything outside of your will, but inside of your will, is there another way within your will that I could still be obedient, but not do it this way? Jesus is really struggling here, and it says that three times he prayed. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's not praying a lot of different prayers. He's praying one prayer. Is there another way? If the, is there another way that I could be obedient in this? Well, my brothers and sisters, have you ever wondered, what's he really asking here? Because if anybody knew that this was the only way, it was Jesus Christ. Before anybody knew about the plan of redemption, the Father and the Son had decided together from all eternity that this was going to be the way. This was going to be the way that sinners were brought to repentance, that those who have been separated from God will be brought back. He knew there was no plan B. There was no other way. So what's really going on in the garden? My brothers and sisters, what's really happening in the garden is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's struggling to obey. He's emotionally coming to terms with that which he knows in his head is the right thing to do. Does anybody know anything about this? The things that you know in your head are obedience, but it's so difficult to do it and to bring it into your life. There's a struggle there. And if anybody here thinks that Christianity is about a bunch of good people who bring other good people to a good church, you're, you're mistaken. There's a struggle in discipleship. There's a struggle to follow. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself here is struggling with obedience. That which he knew in his head from all eternity, now he has to actually bring it into his life and do it to see the displeasure and wrath of the Father. And he's struggling with it. And here at the garden, you see a violent aligning of wills. A violent aligning of wills. Jesus' will violently aligning to the will of the Father. He fights to follow. He fights to battle. In fact, the, the battle is so difficult. The psychological stress is so intense that he's suffering uh, from something that is called hematohydrosis. It's uh, when the, the, the blood vessels rupture around your sweat glands. And it actually mixes in with your sweat, so it looks like you're sweating blood. He's struggling so hard that he's sweating blood. It's a condition that now, because of medical uh, advancements, you could treat this with beta blockers today. But in Jesus' time, he didn't have those medical advancements. So blood is pouring into his sweat glands. He's under that much stress to obey, that much stress to follow. My brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like to pick up your cross and follow him. And looking at Jesus Christ, we begin to see the precipice of going from crowd to disciple, to someone who comes to stuff around Jesus and hears him talk, to someone who is a follower of Jesus, someone who's decided to pick up their cross and follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. My brothers and sisters, and today, I just want to be very clear about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple versus being a crowd, the separating line 
is that desire to pick up your cross and to follow him. The line is not between perfect people and broken people. Everybody's broken. It's not even between good people or bad people. It's not even, the line is not even between those who prayed the believer's prayer and those who didn't pray the believer's prayer. Or the line between people who were baptized and people who were not baptized. The line between crowd and disciple are those who have decided to pick up their cross and enter into the battle of violently allowing your will to be aligned with the Father's. It's the battle to follow. It's not about being perfect. Nobody is a perfect disciple. But if you battle to follow him, you are a disciple. That's what it means, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged if the Christian life is difficult for you because you are battling to follow Jesus. It doesn't feel natural, and and yet you're battling throughout the week to follow him. You are actually contradicting your flesh, contradicting your instincts in order to follow Jesus. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because you are a disciple of Jesus entering into that battle to follow your Lord. That's what a true disciple is. I think it's helpful also to look at what a false disciple is, what a false disciple is. And when you look at Judas on the other side of things, I think you get a clear picture of what it means to be a false disciple. You see, Judas came to all the stuff. Judas learned all the same stuff. Judas knew all the same stuff. And he came to all the meetings. And yet, Underneath, in his secret life, there wasn't that battle to follow the Lord and to align his will to the Lord's. Instead, it says that he was secretly stealing from the money bag, that he was the one who went to the high priests and asked, if I give you Jesus, what would you give me? He's in the garden. I can give him to you. You see, he had all of the external trappings of a disciple, but he wasn't actually a disciple. If you ask anybody in Galilee if he was a disciple, most people will probably tell you yes. But underneath, in secret, there wasn't that battle to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you have that struggle to follow him and to obey him? I know all of us struggle because life is hard. You struggle because you got married, and marriage is hard. You struggle because you had children, and being a parent is hard. You struggle because you're working, and careers are difficult. You're living here in this area, and it's very expensive, and so you're struggling. But I ask you, other than those things, are there struggles in your life that are unique to you trying to follow Jesus? If I went to your community group, your small group, and I had a catalog of the prayer requests that you gave to your small group, Would all of your prayer requests just be about making it in this life, getting through this life? Now, all those are important things that we should pray for each other. You get sick, your family gets sick. We should pray for each other, brothers and sisters. But are there also prayers in that catalog that a non-believer could never ask prayer for? Because those unique prayers are prayers that only you as a disciple of Jesus can ask prayers for because that is the battle for you to believe and follow Jesus. Do you have those kind of prayer requests too? Or are they all just about your circumstances? A disciple of Jesus 
is not someone who comes to the same stuff, learns the same stuff, and knows the same stuff. But a disciple of Jesus, according to Jesus, is one who picks up his cross and enters into that violent battle to align wills with the Father. Nobody's perfect. Nobody does that perfectly. But do you have that battle inside of you? It's very, very important that we check our hearts today. And if you have that, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged because you're struggling. Be encouraged because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this happens, brothers and sisters, in our everyday lives. Everyday lives. I think it's important that we see this. Sometimes we feel so insecure about a situation that we're living in that our initial reaction is just to get more control, just to get more control of the situation. But a disciple in that moment says to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And fights to trust God instead of just getting more control of the situation. Fights to trust God. When sexual temptation hits your flesh, and you start to feel your flesh churn in sexual temptation. The disciple battles. says, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And enters into that violent battle against the flesh. That's a disciple. When you feel the pull of money. Money being your almighty God. And in that moment, when you feel that pull to put yourself at the feet of Christ. And battle and say, not my will, but yours be done. When you're upset at a family member, and sometimes family is the hardest to forgive, but you know the Lord is calling you to do so, that in that moment, you put your will underneath the Father's. Say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You see, it's in everyday moments that we live through that we are disciples of Jesus. That it's when our tongues are given to the flesh and you feel that pull. When you're tempted to give your coworker malicious sarcasm because they're completely incompetent and you feel that pull. It's in those moments, brothers and sisters, that the battle takes place. And it's important that we recognize that that is what discipleship is. Do not be discouraged when you are battling. That battle is your identity and battle as a disciple. Now, I want to clarify something before we move on. Some of you have not grown as a Christian for a little while, and you recognize that and you feel that and it bothers you. That you remember that earlier when you became a Christian that you grew a lot and pretty quickly, and then you do kind of feel like you've slowed down and almost just stopped growing. And I want to offer a word of wisdom from Scripture to you. You know, one of the reasons that happens to us is that we're still trying to grow in our adulthood the way that we grew as an infant. Let me explain. When a baby is born, they eat like every two hours, and there's so much food that they need. They need a lot of nutrition. They need a lot of nourishment, and they need to eat constantly. When somebody becomes a Christian, it's actually very similar. If you see somebody who's just come to faith, they're like gobbling up books. They're listening to sermons all the time. Um, They're doing a lot of intake, 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 because especially if they've come to faith later in life, there's so much for them to learn. There's so much for them to learn, and they're bringing in a lot into their heart. It's, it's a period where you need to absorb a lot. But when you move and progress beyond that infancy, the way we grow has to be more than that. 
When you look at scripture, it tells us that if you want to keep growing as a Christian beyond your infancy, then you also need to do what? Battle your sin and put off your old self. It's not just about eating and eating and eating. And so I've had people say to me, Pastor Dave, I haven't, I feel like I'm not growing. What book should I read? Or, or like, what, what, what quiet time should I do? And, and these are important because we need nourishment. But if you're just trying to put stuff in and you're not doing the hard work of aligning your will to God and putting off sin, there's no space for you to put in these things that you're trying to put into your soul. You need to battle your sin and you need to put off these things. When you read 2 Timothy, read 2 Timothy with me. This is what Paul says. He says uh, in 2 Timothy 2.20, he says, now in a great house, that's you, uh, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, good things, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. That's the picture of your heart. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Doesn't that sound like a disciple to you? If they do that. And then verse 22 says, so flee, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As we mature, brothers and sisters, you can't just think the way that you grow is just to come to stuff, to listen to stuff, to read stuff. That's all very important. But if you want to be a disciple, you must be engaged in the work of putting off sin. That must be a major focus in order for you to grow. Have you been a Christian for 20 years and haven't given thought to putting off your envy and covetousness? And you've just been reading the Bible listening to sermons for 20 years, don't you feel like you've slowed down in your spiritual growth? You're gobbling up scripture for years, but you're not putting off your fear of man, and you're wondering, why am I still anxious all the time? If we are not putting off and aligning our will to God by putting off the things that we need to put off, then you cannot just keep gorging on stuff and expect to grow. According to scripture, you have to focus in on aligning your will to the Lord. That is a disciple, someone who has counted the cost, pick up their cross in order to follow him. My brothers and sisters, today the Lord is calling you to align something with the Lord, something in your life and something in your heart that needs to be aligned with God. I want to ask you, what are those things? Some of you know already. Some of you know in your head already, and you've known for a while, but you haven't gone through the battle of aligning your heart and will to it and bringing it to real life as Jesus is doing in the garden. What's your thing? Let me give you a minute and think about what the Lord is calling you to put off and align. My brothers and sisters, I pray that nobody at Mosaic, at least, will ever be confused about what a disciple is. 
I pray that nobody will be confused to think that a disciple means to go to church. And that one day we see Jesus and we say, but didn't you see me at church? I sat in the middle, like kind of in the front, middle. I always sat on the left. You didn't see me there? I pray that you don't have that conversation with him where he says, no, I saw you. But you did not follow me. My brothers and sisters, he's calling you to that. And it's the most gracious call you hear in your life to follow him. And here's why. Because of grace. The grace that is your power to do this is the best thing ever. You know, the bad news, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is this. If the rest of your Christian life is just you fighting your desires and that's it, you're not going to make it. You're going to burn out. If all of Christianity, until you die, is just you battling your desires and that's it. Like, think about how wearisome that is. I thought, I thought Christianity was like that too. It just felt tiring to me. And some of you at this point in the sermon feel like, wow, this is tiring. A burdensome task to pick up the cross and follow him. But here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that he not only calls you to battle your desires, but by grace, he changes your desires. That, for me, was such an eye-opener. That, for me, was such a game-changer in my life, in my spiritual life, is when it wasn't just about fighting my desires, but he gave me new ones. And, it, and I went from, oh, I have to pray, to, I have to pray. From, oh, I have to obey, to, I must obey. When it went from, oh, I have to follow him, to, Lord, I want to follow you. When that happened, that made such a big difference. You cannot fight upstream the rest of your life if the stream doesn't change. But here's the thing about the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when you experience his grace by the Holy Spirit, you're not just fighting upstream, the stream shifts. The stream shifts, and that's, you know, when the Bible talks about walk in the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, let the Spirit empower you, that's what it feels like. It feels like the stream shifts, and it feels like you're being pushed to holiness, pushed to godliness, pushed to the things that God wants you to do. That is an awesome feeling. And that we get only by grace. No law, no force can give that to you. But when the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ enters into your life, not only changes what you do, but it changes what you want to do because you love him. Because you love him. Remember, he got up from that garden as difficult as it was. He got up and he did go to the cross because he loves you so much. That if he didn't, he knew that he would lose you. That if he didn't, he knew that he wouldn't have you. But he did, because he loves you. He did it so that he can have you. Who could look at that at the Garden of Gethsemane and say whatever? When the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ comes by the power of the Spirit, the stream shifts. I pray that you would remember that. I pray that you would remember that. Remember your Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, when it gets hard, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Change your heart. 
Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread like this, and he broke that bread. He said, this is my body, which I'll tear apart for you. Each time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup. And for him before at the garden, this was the cup of his wrath. But instead of being a cup of his wrath, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The promise I make for you, each time you see this, I want you to remember my grace and my love. Each time you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Grace changes everything. Grace makes you want to be a disciple. Grace changes our desires. And brothers and sisters, this meal today, we get a view of grace. Don't you remember what Paul said? In view of his mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Who would ever want to do that? But in view of his mercy, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Before we take the elements, can we pray? Can I just ask you to reflect on this and just hear from God? A true disciple is one who has a grace-driven heart to pick up his cross and follow him. Is that you? Jesus, please don't let anyone here just be part of a crowd. Speak to them now. Let's take a moment and, and just talk to our Father about this.